Hey everyone, welcome back to Raising Gen Z, your guide for taking the mystery out of raising teens. And I'm Shira Myro. I'm here with my co-host Ian Hogue. Hi, Shira. Today we're going to talk about one of the great mysteries of teen parenting. <laughs> How to talk to your teen so they will listen. That's definitely a mystery. I know. Or maybe a moving target, I should say. It's more like a moving target. Well, I mean, I think all parents around the world can relate to this. And I think every parent also has this thought. If I can just figure out how to crack the code, they'll listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for parents out there that can relate, we are going to help you crack the code today and leave you with three simple steps you can take to help improve communication with your teen. But before we can do that, we might want to explore why they stop listening to you and what parents do that make it worse. And I just want to go ahead and volunteer to say I've probably done all of them many times making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's important to say at the onset here, Shira, that getting your teen to listen to you is is almost not fair because the reality is they they're not going to listen to you. They don't want to listen to you anymore. And we can't get your teen to actually listen to you, but what we can do is give you tools maybe or ways to think about this that are going to be more effective in maybe them listening to you. I think so often parents kind of get used to this idea that as a kid they listened to me, they did what I told them to do. And then all of a sudden now they're kind of fighting to get back that sense of control, but that control is gone. And the most important thing I feel like, I don't know about what you feel like, Shira, but when I work with parents is I tell them, you need to grieve this change that's happened. Your kid has gone from a kid to a teen and it's like a whole new person. So so can I ask you, I mean, I usually don't say grieve. I'm, I'm curious about the idea of grieve. I, I just say you have to remember not to take it so personally that it's developmental and even though it stings there's a function to them kind of closing off to you to some degree and turning more towards their peers. But before we get into that, how might you suggest parents grieve their kid? Yeah. I mean, I, I say the word grieve because our association with the word grieve is that there's a loss of something. Mm -hmm. Something's gone. Yes. And I think too often parents are holding on to that closeness and the connection that you have with your kid who's young. But the reality is you have to let it go. If you want any chance of having as good of a relationship and communication you can with your teen, you have to let go of the way that you guys communicated before and recognize that that shift has happened. So I used grief to kind of shock parents into getting <laughs> that, yeah, you got to let go of this. This has happened. <laughs> I mean, what was it like for you? And you, know, you, you have a, a boy that's like right at the teen years, right? Yeah, my my twelve, my twelve, my my sixteen year old talks yeah. a lot, but but I've definitely noticed around eleven and a half, the puberty onset of puberty that he's very available to his friends and they could chat till the cows come home, but suddenly there's this kind of like a wall coming down or a curtain coming down, and it takes a lot more effort to connect. What was it like for you when you noticed that? Like, was, th was there a difficult process to start to recognize that? Oh my gosh, I've lost him in a way. You know, I mean, I appreciate the question. Having gone through it with the older one, I knew what to expect and I didn't take it so personally. I took it really personally with, with my older son. 
like, what is going on? Why is he so cranky? He, mm-hmm. <laughs> he just yeah. doesn't communicate anymore. And with this one, I know that I have to shift gears and think there's a lot more effort and awareness in terms of engaging with him. And it's it's not as easy as it once was. I I really recognize that, but I'm appreciative of the fact that that I know that this is part of his development and and to remind myself because sometimes it stings for sure. Sometimes it absolutely stings. Yeah. You kind of mentioned this before, but there's there's this real shift from all I care about is what my parents think and to be around them to all of a sudden I'm far more, beyond far more interested in my peer group. And you know, it was always interesting to me to learn that this is actually developmentally good and appropriate. I mean, it doesn't feel good for a parent, but when you think about how we evolved as a species, that the peer group was very important because this was the group that you were going to grow up with in the tribe. You need to create really good bonds because from an evolutionary perspective, uh, that's life or death, you know, being able to trust. And yeah, we see that in modern times now where, you know, kids just want to talk to their friends all the time and go hang out with them all the time. And they have nothing to do with a family dinner or to go spend time with, with you or, or any, any of the parents, any of the adults really in the family. It's, it's so true. And yet they're completely, they're still not completely, but they're very dependent at 12. It's it's not as if you're ready to be emancipated and go live your own life. You, you still need your family. You need your parents in so many ways. But of course, the irony is, is that <laughs> there's this illusion that they don't need you except to drive them around, drop them off to see their friends and, you know, give them, give them money and pay for their cell phone. That's so true. You know, and the image that comes to mind is like, we all get what's happening when a kid wants to play house. Oh, I'm playing, um, serving ice cream for people. You know, when a little kid gets a little ice cream set, like I have a a nephew that we gave him an ice cream set for Christmas. So he he then was so excited and he would go around giving us the fake ice cream. He's play pretending being a grown up, but nobody has a problem with that because he's a kid. But it's still happening with teens. And like you said, they're play pretending with their sense of I'm independent and I'm my own person. And yet they are so incapable if they were really left on their own to handle the responsibility of that. I think sometimes I notice with parents is that they, they maybe miss that, that as much as they're pushing you away, they really do need to know you're there. So true. And, and at the same time, they are developing some personal agency and, and that kind of boils down to deciding whether to engage with you or connect with you. And that's, it feels like a bitter pill, but it it really is one form of them differentiating and separating. And even, you know, even the the remarks about being a hypocrite, because they, they see you in a different light. They, they don't idealize you anymore. And so some of those negative commentaries, again, as, as much as you cringe, <laughs> what, they, they don't think I'm so upstanding anymore. I, I do think that it's a reflection of their capacity to hold more complexity in their thinking, mm-hmm. which is to see you, hopefully they, they don't completely demonize and, and hate you, but they're seeing you more fully and they're seeing the world for both good and bad. And that's really important. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned a word that I think 
I feel like it would be really helpful for us to break it down for the listeners because it's a it's a therapeutic word, differentiation, right? But like, what does that really mean? <laughs> you know, maybe we can kind of break that down. I mean, when if you were telling you know a parent what that differentiation, what that means, how would you describe it? Uh, well, differentiation uh, has its roots in family systems theory, and it's actually a, a wonderful, important term because it, it is. And I'm, I'm sure because you deal with teens, you might describe it a different way. But every member of the family needs to differentiate the children, separate them, their sense of self, their sense of identity as, as being something separate and distinct um, from their parents, an identity that is also separate and distinct from the other members of the family. And it's hugely important. And differentiation also relates to the idea that that separate self has a kind of a, a center in a healthy family system of some degree of autonomy that regulates its emotions, that has a sense of self-awareness. And it's a long, slow process. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens over years. But when you're thinking about an adolescent's need to differentiate, really, it is to become more autonomous, to become their own person, to make their own choices, to have their own ideas of things. You know, and one thing I, I, I observe about the kids is like, you know, I mean, I remember this as a kid, like your taste in music was so defining, you know, that you had very specific taste in music. You know, what were your favorite bands? Who were your favorite artists? That 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 was something about you. Like early on, I felt like that differentiated me. Like my father was a composer. He had very interesting taste in music and some of it was really out there, like avant-garde music and atonal music and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just felt like if I had my own you know, I was actually embarrassed to say, like, I love Durant. <laughs> and of course, my dad would cringe, but I really love them. And that was a way of me differentiating, like having different tastes. I, th I love what you said. If they need to differentiate themselves from their parents, because the only thing I would add is that the reason for that is because they've defined themselves as what their parents are and have told them that they are. And so if you're trying to figure out who you are and you have no clue and your brain is trying to figure this out, then the natural place to go is to say, well, what am I, uh, this is what everybody's telling me I am. So let me push against that to define, maybe to figure out who I am. So this is where parents, they don't understand overnight. Why, why is my kid just all of a sudden like contempt towards me? You know, why are they like disgusted by me and like my tastes and stuff? It's because they need to push against everything that, that you are to then give them enough space to start to figure out what they think and what they want. And that that's the only that's the piece that I would add because when you say a kid becomes they're going from this this kid years to then becoming an adult is that they need to they need to discover who they are and have their own personal agency. So, but you were saying Ian that so rejection rejection is part of it. Oh, yeah. Like you've got to get on board with that as a parent. There there the differentiation process is all about pushing against parents and the kind of important adults. It's like cringe. It's, uh, they use the word cringe. Teens use, love to use the word cringe. Yes. And it cracks <laughs> me up. I love that word. My, I'll tell a little story. My niece, she's 14 and um, we're driving in the car and I'm asking if she goes to concerts. I was curious, does she go to concerts yet? You know, she at that age and she's like, well, no, not really. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll take you sometime to a concert. And the look on her face, <laughs> she was like the cringe look. And I'm like, 
oh, w- would that not be cool? She's like, oh my God, it'd be so embarrassing to bring you. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is, oh my gosh, this has happened. I am not cool anymore. I'm, I'm being pushed against. She can't associate with me, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. But it's brutal. And, and, and in that moment, even for me as just a niece, I felt sad. I wanted to go share an experience with her, but I also understood that that she's in that process. She's pushing against not only her parents, but um, the adults in her family. No, I, I empathize, Ian. <laughs> I really do. Um, so let me ask you, so how do parents, knowing all this, what are the no-nos? How, how do parents make it worse? Yeah. Let's say they're they're trying to do all the right things and they're trying to be aware, okay, the differentiating, it's necessary, the rejection, it's necessary. But like I find I still, I'm making mistakes all the time. First of all, I would love to hear that. I think our listeners could really benefit from a therapist who struggles as well. <laughs> like what's worked, what doesn't work, you know? But there's there's some, in my mind, there's some clear no-nos. I tell parents, stop stop trying to fix things, you know, because the, the the big role that parents have when you have a kid is that you get to fix everything, you know, and you get rewarded for it because your child comes up and says, oh, I need you, I need you, I need you. And then you fix it and they stop crying and then you feel so much love from them and it's great. But for the teenage years, they don't want you fixing things. If you start to fix things for them, you're taking away their personal agency and they're going to resent you. So, oh, and, they often, and you often make it worse. You often say yeah. something or do something and then they'll let you know that you just totally humiliated them. Really? Is that you? So you've experienced that, yeah, with your voice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like you, you tried, they complain about something and then you're like, okay, honey, let me just try to, and they're like, oh God, you just, <laughs> you made it worse. <laughs> well, have you noticed that? Do you, have you tried to, have you noticed that shift between I can no longer tell them the answer or tell them what to do? They're just not going to listen. Yeah, or or resent you for meddling. Oh, uh, especially yes. if it's so if it, if it's socially, then you have to let go and let them figure that one out. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah, like it's so humiliating. stepping back. Yeah. yeah, stepping in to try to fix a situation for them socially would, would is like the most humiliating thing, because in some level it's emasculating, especially for a boy, right? Like mm. I, you're almost saying like I can't handle this on my own. I'm trying to be my own man, and I have my mom, my mommy come in and help me. Exactly. So, I mean, that's definitely one. Yeah, like not trying to problem solve for social things. Yeah, and letting them just struggle with that or figure out how they want to, how they want to handle the situation. So that's definitely one. What what might be other no nos? So, um, so I think fix it language also includes, or not includes, but is similar to to not giving unsolicited advice. Yes, this is a big one that parents do. Is that like your kid brings a problem to you and you think, oh, well, now it's time to like, now's my time to tell them what to do. No, 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 no. That's not what they want. If you enter into a conversation with them with an agenda, like you've got an answer for what you think that they should do, they will sniff that out right away and shut down. I don't know if you've experienced that with your boys, but this happens all the time. You ha- as a parent, you can't come in with an agenda. It should just be to listen. That's a hard, that's a hard one, Ian. I, I, I think know. I make that mistake. A lot. I know because partly like, again, what are you doing by giving them like unsolicited advice? You're telling them you need me. You can't do this on your own. You can't figure this out on your own. So if they feel that energy from you and they're in that space of, I want to assert my own independence, of course they're going to reject it. This doesn't mean that you can't give them advice, but like you have to wait for them to ask for it. Otherwise you're literally 
just there as kind of a sounding board to listen, which is hard. Okay. I know that's really hard. <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Well, and then and then also with the other thing to add with giving unsolicited advice is that parents will use psychological control. They'll kind of give love and withhold love a bit to kind of get their get their kids to do what they want. That's also really bad. Um, that will build up resentment for your kid. It's it's hard, but you gotta let you gotta let them figure this out. You mean like like bribing, or are you talking about something different? What I mean is that like withholding love would be. Let's say they make a they, they they like a teenage mistake, right? They come home late from their curfew, and you and you kind of shun them, you kind of shame them, you kind of like withhold the normal sense of support to, for them. Or whenever they do what you want them to do, you give them love. Oh my God, I'm so proud of you. It's like that starts to send this unconscious message that I'm meant to behave in a certain way, but it's not direct. It's sort of passive. So what you're saying is, is if they're compliant, yeah. If if they're compliant, then then you don't withhold, and if they're non-compliant, then then a parent could withhold love, give them the message that it's not okay to to defy me in any way. That's exactly it, and I, I like that. We, it's a great word, compliance, because I think sometimes parents can mistake your kid listening to you as them being compliant with you. You know, like, why won't they listen to me for some parents means why aren't they doing what I'm telling them to do? <laughs> right. That's a great distinction. That's a really important distinction. So, okay. So cracking the code, what are those essential good parent communication skills that can, can help foster better communication with their teens? Well, let me ask you, I should ask you that question to start, Shira, because you, you, you've gone through the experience of that switch with the teens and they don't listen and then they do. I mean, I'll add as well, but let's do this together. What, what oh has worked? <laughs> You're putting me on the hot seat. I am because I think because I think our 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 listeners are parents that have teens, and it's like they can relate to. Okay, this didn't work, but what does work? Well, okay, so for sure, lecturing, judging, trying to fix things that that all really resonates. That that's that's what's a no no. And I I do think when I said you know don't take it personally, there's also I think what comes with that is some self-compassion for myself because it's hard. That's been helpful for me to say, all right, they're going through it. They don't need me in the ways that they used to and that, that the rejection is part of it. So I need to do some self-soothing around that sometimes because I can see like my husband takes it really personally when they when they behave that way. And sometimes I do too. And I want to go to the place which you said, which is, you know, shutting down or stonewalling or like, okay, fine, kiddo. Like you figure it out. Fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or, or like ungrateful, spoiled children. But yeah. in terms of things that do work on a good day, I want to say being present with them, listening attentively with kind of, as you said, without an agenda, just being there to listen and validate their emotional experience if if they're willing to share. That's something that I think is helpful, but also, you know, as a therapist, I have to be careful because if they don't want to communicate with me, just let them be. There, it, there doesn't always have to be an agenda around something like, hey, you know, uh, how do you feel about such and such? And because they can, they can feel it as kind of probing mm. versus versus kind of just making space for them to come to you 
when they want to come to you. It's a really, it's like a switch, it's a different orientation and maybe trying to connect around different things that feel more organic and more natural versus cornering them with some kind of agenda to get some information out of them. Yeah, yeah, making demands, wanting to know info. Mm -hmm. That just feels awful. Mm -hmm. I even as an adult, that feels awful with my parents, (laughs) if I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, Sure. So um, you said validation. I think that's an important term for us to break down for. When when you say validate with your, your teens, what does that mean? If they're sharing something about their inner experience or maybe some frustration or some insecurity or even some upset, then I validate and acknowledge that that makes sense. Right? I hear you saying, you know, you're really upset about the, the coach's call or the ref's call on the, <laughs> the soccer game, you know, how that make you feel and just uh, allow them, give them space to share their feelings and then reflect back to them. And I think it's really important. And we've talked about this before, how important it is to honor how they feel, but not necessarily condone, let's say if there's some negative behavior or some acting out that goes with it, but honor their feelings and affirm that they're legitimate and it makes sense. I think it's really important. You know, that's, uh, it makes me think about, I'll sometimes tell parents, you need to distinguish between my kid wants to just vent versus they want a solution to a problem. Hmm. And venting is validating. You know, when we want to vent with our friends, like you just imagine, like as adults, like if we're venting to a friend and they immediately try to give us advice and we're like, I just need you to hear me. Like, please don't give me a solution. I just want a space to express myself and to feel my feelings. I think that's what kids really want. I think that's an important piece to that validation is is that you're giving them the support and the space to kind of express how they feel without them having to feel that you have some kind of judgment or opinion about what they're feeling and what they should do. Exactly. Or even an agenda. Uh-huh. Even an agenda. Yeah. And I want you to do this or, you know, you you should go talk to the coach. It's like, they're not asking for that right there. They just, they're upset and they want help with that feeling. And sometimes it just means ho- holding space, which is so hard for a parent to do. It, in a sense, I mean, if if what I'm gathering from our conversation is in, in a way, do a little less, do a little less of the parenting, sort of the default parenting things, and just try to pull back and give them space to express how they feel if they're so inclined yeah. and validate. I, yeah. Let them come to you is a really hard thing. Because I think part of raising kids when they're kids is that you often go to them. And, and with the teen years, you've got to give them the space. And it's really hard if you're a, a proactive parent who's constantly involved and constantly wants to know stuff to then say, I'm going to sit back and let them come to me because initially they really might not come to you. But over time, if they feel that the energy around you is no agenda, you're not giving them an unsolicited advice, then you become a trusted place for them to explore their developmental agency. You know, you know what's interesting too, I think that parents have this and it's fear-based, which is if you could preemptively rescue them before they fail, right? If you mm. see that they're they're going to make some bad decisions or poor decisions, it, it could be in so many ways. You want to help them 
prevent versus have the experience of failing? I mean, it's a big question and we've talked about it before and that's so hard, but if, if you could somehow try to turn that fear knob down and say, all right, I don't have to rescue them. It's really important to let them have their own experience and learn from their own experience. Yeah. But it, it's always such a tightrope. Well, and you're, if you think about it, you're robbing them of something crucial and important when you try to rescue them. You're robbing them of their growth process. The growth process as a, as a teen is messy. It's a lot of mistakes. It's a lot of sort of trial and error. And if you try to take that from them because you're so concerned about their suffering and you want them to have a perfect upbringing that you didn't have, you're actually taking something from them. Hmm. That's so interesting. It's so true. So, all right, we've got a few minutes left, but I didn't know if we had time to dig into that listener question that you had. Yeah, let's let's dive into this. Um, this is a good one. We've kind of gone through everything, so maybe we can easily answer this, <laughs> or our listeners can answer this as we go. So, uh, Stephanie writes, my 15-year-old daughter feels so shut down to me. We used to snuggle before bed and talk about the day in her life. Now, when I try to ask her things or show interest in her world, she is short in her response and seems so bothered. The other day, I asked her about her friends, and she said I was being cringe. There's that cringe word. <laughs> There's the word. <laughs> At dinner, she wants to be on her phone and refuses to participate. I get so frustrated with her, and I know I don't always respond well. What can I do to change this dynamic? I miss my daughter. Hmm. So, you know, maybe our listeners, have, after our conversation, already have um, some ideas of, of what we would say, but anything that, that stands out to you here, Shira? Well, Obviously, when she says, I miss my daughter, I was thinking about grieving the mm -hmm. loss of the connection. And I guess my first thought is offer some compassion, self-compassion as a parent to herself, because this is this is hard. It's, it's a real shift. And well, I, I want to give it over to you. Uh, well, I think, what would you recommend? I think that's an important thing. And then I'm looking at you know, where she says, I try to ask her things or show interest. I ask her about her friends. She says, I'm being cringe. This is like what you said, you know, you can't, it's more about validating. If you keep asking so many questions, they're going to shut down to it. Uh, they might. So it's the same kind of thing. I would say, uh, I would tell Stephanie, you know, practice more uh, just being a listening board for her. Don't come mm -hmm. to her with questions. Let her come to you. Yeah. I'm, I mean, in a way you're playing the long game. Mm -hmm. Continue to be present, continue to show up. I mean, I, I do take a stand with the kids at dinner when we do have family dinner, no phones at dinner and, you know, lots of eye rolling and then they <laughs> gobble their food as fast as yeah. possible. How can I get out of here as Slam. quick as I can? <laughs> so I get back on TikTok. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's torture but, my parents put me through every night, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the only time where I, it's a real hard line. No phones at dinner. Yeah. Because right, that that makes it impossible to have any kind of conversation or connection. Well, it's good. I mean, a boundary around it is good, but to but you can't expect them to not want what they want. <laughs> exactly. What what else you might know. you suggest for Stephanie? I think you said it well that the compassion piece, because it sounds like she's getting frustrated. You know, you start to respond badly and you start to kind of not let go of this transition that's occurred, then you kind of break down that space um, of trust. And so you got to build it back up. I would just say if she practices being kind to herself that this, this grieving process has occurred and, um, and, and, and let go of getting information out of her and, and try mm -hmm. to let her come to you and, and be much more active in your listening and reflection and your validation. 
that that will over time improve the communication as much as it can be for a teen. Because this comes back to my original point. If your expectation is that we're going to have great communication during the teen years, then I'm so sorry, but that's just like so rare. <laughs> so, so basically you're saying we should be stoic about this. <laughs> I mean, I, that's why I say grieving. It's like, you got to let it go. Mm-hmm. You're no longer the most important thing in their world. You're like down the list, at least consciously for them. Down the list. Yeah. Definitely. And that's okay. They still need you desperately, but they need to play pretend with something else for now. Hmm. I know we're kind of here at time, but maybe we can kind of just go through a few skills, like maybe three tools that we would recommend all of our listeners, if you're struggling in this way, could practice. That would be great. All right. Let's let's rattle them, rattle them off. So I know beforehand you and I kind of talked about this, so we're going to rattle them off, but there's three of them. We've talked about them already. The first one is, most importantly, grieve the loss of your kid that used to listen to everything you say with eager anticipation (laughs) and familiarize yourself with this new person, your teen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Stop offering unsolicited advice. That's a huge one. You should put that on your fridge or something unless they ask you directly. I I really appreciate that. And that's just one that I I seem to have amnesia about every day. Mm -hmm. And here's the final counterintuitive one we've talked about. You're going to get more out of them if you practice actively listening to them instead of trying to get information from them. <laughs> counterintuitive. <laughs> Counter all of this is very counterintuitive. Yes, that that's exactly how I feel. It's counterintuitive, but uh, I, I think, like I said, practicing the long game, the rewards should be much greater uh, at the end of this process. That's it for this episode of Raising Gen Z. You can join us next time as we continue to speak to the issues that parents need support with most. Please send us your questions and your comments. We're here for you. You can follow us on Raising Gen Z on Instagram or on Facebook. And also, if you have a question, please feel free on any of our platforms to write us a question. We'd be happy to answer that for you. See you next time.